It's great to be with you, Pat. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for having me here. Uh, James is where we're going to spend our time tonight and tomorrow morning and on both messages. We're kind of going to go backwards through James, which is a little weird, but it's kind of the way I feel led to do it. So when God tells you to do something, you just do it. You don't worry about how it feels. And so we're going to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now, on the, the bear hunt deal, I did, I did have a bear in the background. I, I did that on purpose because a lot of times you think about university presidents and you start thinking eggheads or guys that have their nose stuck in books all the time, not real dudes. Uh, at least that's kind of my impression of people that do the things I do. And so uh, I wanted to, for those of you that know about hunting, I wanted something in the background that said that. So I got to tell you, is it all right if I take a few minutes just to tell you a story about hunting bear, though? Is that all right? You got to be all right with that? I'll, make, I'll try to make it relate, but if it doesn't relate, then we'll just deal with it. Um, so I went to Canada to hunt a bear, and they showed pictures of a game camera of this massive black bear. Now, I'm not talking about a black bear like you might find in the States that weighs, you know, a yogi bear that weighs like 150 pounds or one of the Chicago Cubs bears or something. This was a massive bear that would be like, 500 pounds of bear with a head like this big. It was on the camera. And in my mind, I already had this thing mounted. I, I had seen the, the footage of it coming out regularly to the barrel. And, and I told the guy, I want that bear. I want to go hunt that bear. That's the one I want. And I already had it mounted. I was going to mount it on a pedestal, which would make it seem even bigger. And I was going to put its arms up like this. And then I was going to put it in the dining room where I entertain a bunch of students and guests. I just thought that would be funny. Now, maybe it wouldn't have been, and that's why I didn't get the bear, but that's not, that's not, I, I got to tell you the story first. So I'm going with one purpose in mind, and I have planned it all out. I'm going to go shoot that massive bear that's on the camera and bring it home and mount it, and I'm going to mount the full thing, no rug on a wall, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in the dining room area. So I go. And when I go and I tell him I want to hunt this bear, he smiles, and I didn't know why, and he said, okay. And he said, by the way, you're going to be sitting on the ground. I said, okay, I, you know, I've got, I've got a 30 out six. I know how to use it. All right, I'm, all right, yeah, all right. I, now, inside, I was sitting there thinking, seriously, on the ground? I mean, are you kidding me? These bears hunt back if they want to. I mean, they can. They, they have bigger teeth than I do. They're, big, they're fast. I don't, but outside, I mean, there's, there's six other guys there. So what do you say outside when the guy looks at you in front of six other guys and says, by the way, you're going to be sitting on the ground? You, you do what every guy does. You fake it, right? You lie, and you're like, yeah, no problem. I got it. <laughs> so he takes me out there, and I'm thinking a ground blind or something that is a structure. And when we're getting in the truck, he says, throw that chair in the back. It was one of these Academy fold-out chairs that is the fabric that you just sit in, and you can fold up, and it's like this big around when you fold it up. You guys know what I'm talking about? You may not have Academy, but Gander Mountain, whatever you have, I mean, it's one of those pop-out, it's one of those chairs you take to your kids' soccer games because they don't have chairs, and you can pop them out real easily. They cost like five bucks at Walmart. That's the chair that I threw in the back of the truck. I should have figured something out about that time. We go walking in, dragging this beaver tail and this meat and all this other stuff that we're going to put in the bait barrel for the big bears to come get. We're dragging it down this little trail. We put it in the barrel, and then he says, drop your chair right back here right beside the little trail. Now, I'm still getting a little bit more uncomfortable, but your manhood's at question, right? And so we do really dumb stuff when people double dog or triple dog dare us and stuff like that. And so I'm not saying anything yet. So I'm, I'm sitting there wondering, what, what am I supposed to do here? And so he, he steps off the trail about three feet, opens up the chair, takes out his hatchet, and cuts down a little tree. We've got a picture of exactly what my blind looked like if we can ever get it loaded up. But they'll I see Hitachi. That's not it. It's a tree about this big, slacks it with a hatchet. It folds over. He puts the chair down. He goes, there you go. You're set. That's your blind. Now, the trail that we just walked down that was clearly formed by an animal, not by us, is three feet to my right. I'm not feeling too good about this when he leaves. I ask him the question before he gets in his truck, how far away from anybody else am I? He goes, oh, you're at least a mile, two miles away from any other known human. I'm like, all right. You're going to be around sometime? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be back about 8.30 around dark to check on you. <laughs> all right, we're good. I got my bag. I got my 30 out six. Yeah, I got 20 bullets. All right, we're all right. We'll survive, right? And so I sit down in the chair. I'm sitting here. I've got 
full camo on. I, I've got my, my, all of the stuff around to make sure my scent's not detected. I'm, I'm sitting here, and, and I hear all these noises start, and your mind plays games with you anytime you hear noises, especially when you're not real comfortable. And so like a squirrel can come running through the woods, and it's like a Mack truck, that in your mind anyway, because those squirrels are noisy. I mean, they're more noisy than a 12-point buck coming through the woods, and, and I'm, I'm hearing stuff all around. And about that time, I see movement out of my right eye, and it's back over here where this trail comes out. I've kind of adjusted my chair a little bit where I'm still aimed this way, but I can see out this side, and all of a sudden, I see something big and something black that's walking down the trail that I'm sitting beside. Now, I'm not cool with that because there's food over there, and there's something big back here, and I'm in the way, and I don't like that. And my gun's aimed this way, not that way. So we have a problem. So I began moving, like on purpose moving, so that it would get uncomfortable and would go a different direction. And so I hear movement again floating around in different areas. And then all of a sudden, I see this ugly-looking female bear. I mean, it's mating season when we go up there, right? So I won't go into too much details, but, but there's the, the male bears look great. The female bears, not so much. This female bear, not so much. And it came out to the bait barrel, and the bait barrel is probably back where the exit sign is. And when it comes out, it starts eating, and then it throws its nose up in the air and sniffs. Now, this wasn't the bear that was back there, but it throws its nose up in the air and sniffs. And it looks down and begins to sniff the trail that we drug everything down on and walked down on, and then looks right back up in my direction. Now, I'm full camo. I've got headgear on. I've got gloves on. I've got everything. There's nothing to see, but there's something to smell. And so this bear begins to walk one step at a time up this trail. This bear all of a sudden gets another scent and begins to chomp. If you've ever been around bears, they'll do a... They've snapped their jaws. It was really loud. Just to let you know, I can break every bone in your body with this snap, right? And so it's, it's at this moment in time, I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that I don't want to shoot this bear because this bear's ugly and hideous. And I want to shoot that big, massive bear that I'm going to mount. It's going to be over there. So I'm like, go away, bear. Leave bear. Get out of here, bear. I don't want yogi bear. I don't want no hair bear. I don't want the care bears. I want the big bear. Get out of here, bear. Get the right bear. And this bear begins to bark, like a bear has a bark that's not like a dog, it's different, but it lets you know, hey, I'm in the area and I don't like the fact that you're in the area. So about this time, like most people would, I began sweating. I began tasting this bitter almond type taste in my mouth from the adrenaline that is flowing. My heart is beating so fast that I can feel my heart beating in the vein in my neck. Have any of you ever had that type of adrenaline flowing? I mean, I'm here to tell you, you can get a cardio aerobic workout sitting perfectly still in an academy fold-out chair. I mean, it is possible. If, if I had had this watch on, I didn't. It would have told me I got all of my workout in from how fast my heart was racing. And this bear still begins to creep up this trail. Now, it's sniffing. It's seeing it. It's looking up. It's chomping. It's barking. And, and my heart is racing. And so I've got this gun on this little, what, two, three-inch tree that's folded over, and I begin looking at the bear through the scope. The bear gets as far away from me as probably in between these two guys here, right behind the guy with the yellow hat right there. Raise your hand up. That's too close. <laughs> I mean, he could get to me in like, you know, three or four seconds from there, and he's sitting down, and the bear's fast when a bear decides it wants to move. And so I'm looking through the scope, and about that time, the bear stops. I'm getting ready to pull the trigger. The bear stops, and I go, okay, maybe this bear's going to go away. It turns. It turns. It barks, and it looks right at me. I'm looking through the scope. I'm not yet shaking. I don't usually start shaking until after I pull the trigger, squeeze the trigger. I'm looking through the scope, and I decide at that moment in time, my desires and my plans have all changed. Because, <laughs> see, I went to Canada with a plan. It was a plan I had made up. It was a plan that I had formulated in my mind. I had a photo of this bear. This is what I wanted. I had it all planned out. I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to shoot the bear. We're going to skin the bear. We're going to bring the bear back. We're going to mount the bear in this way. I already had it. It was all planned out, right? And then life happened. And all of a sudden, as that bear turned to look at me, and at least in my mind, it was looking at my eye through that scope. I don't know if it saw me or the gun or anything else, but for that moment in my life, everything slowed down. And you know what I really wanted to do? My plan at that point was 
Go home alive. Go home alive. That's all I wanted. I, I began to think about the fact that I, didn't, I don't need a bear mounted, and that would offend some people anyway. That's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't even tell stories about shooting bears in most places because people get offended. Ladies typically get offended and don't. And little girls are like, they think it's Yogi Bear or something. It's only the bad bears. We don't shoot the good bears. But I'm sitting here looking through that, thinking about the fact that I have a wife at home, and I have, now she's a 12-year-old little girl and a 6-year-old little boy, and I'm going home to them. And about that time, I decide, it's, you're done. It's over, all right? So from me to him, a 30 6 with a 220-grain bullet. If you don't know what that means, that means a really big gun with a really big bullet at a really close range. And I put it right there behind the front shoulder and squeeze the trigger off, and that gun explodes. At least in my ears, it felt like an explosion. And that bear cut a flip before it landed. I was so close to it when I hit that bear. Now, the guide comes back, and he's like, did you get something? I'm like, yeah, I got something, but it's not what I wanted. It's really ugly. The bear has very little hair on it. And, and they made fun of me for, like, the whole next year. And next year when we went back to hunt bears, they told me to shoot one that had hair on the back this time. I mean, that's how ugly this bear was. They even made up jokes about the no-hair bear and all this type stuff. But you know what? I didn't care. I went home. So when I'm sitting in that chair with the adrenaline flowing, thinking, now, after I, after I squeeze that trigger, i got to be honest with you, I couldn't stop shaking. I mean, I'm sitting in the chair, and my whole body begins to shake. I, I get up out of the, actually, after I shot, I got right up out of the chair, stepped back, reloaded, was down on one knee. I, I was moving away from that bear because I wasn't comfortable with how close that bear was, even though I saw it could have flipped and land on the ground and die right there. I mean, it was done. Shaking, examining life, all of it flashing before my eyes, coming back in, really stupid plans like hunting a really big bear on the ground in a chair with no protection. All of those type things were happening. And what I recognized is my plans changed because of my circumstances and new information changing my plans. I had made plans that weren't good plans. And tonight when we look at this text, what we see is we see planning without God. It's sinful for us to plan without God. Now, I'm going to read the text in just a minute, but let me set this up for you in this way. There are probably some of you in the room right now. Be honest with yourself. You have planned life without God. You have decided, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. This is where I'm going to go to school. This is what I'm going to do for an occupation. This is how I'm going to live my life. These are the steps I'm going to take. And nowhere in your planning process have you put God. There is, in fact, probably some of you in here who have made plans for your whole life, at least in your mind, and nowhere in those plans does God exist. This text that we're going to talk about tonight is going to give us reasons why it is completely sinful and completely wrong to plan without God. I think they've got the photos up. You can back them up and we'll show it to them right quick. Go back past the ugly bear to the... So that's how far away I was on the... on. I'm, I'm going to walk over here. I, you guys don't care, do you? All right. So you see this moss right here? That's where I shot the bear, on this side of the moss. Go to the next slide. There's my blind. So you, you see how far away that green... I mean, I wasn't kidding, right? I mean, it's, that's the blind. He just cut the tree and laid it over. And it was on this side of that light green moss that's out there is where I ended up shooting that bear. Go to the next slide. This is the ugly bear. This is the no hair bear. We gave, that's the best side. So, like, you know how you always do photographic genius with the pho- You know, you put the thing closer to the camera than it is to you to make it look bigger, and you do all those type things, which we did all that. But you can't make that ugly bear look pretty. Like, that bear gets worse and worse the farther back you go. I even put on a black shirt to make it like it had more hair in some spots. And it just, yeah, it just didn't work. And so, anyway, that's the hideous no-hair bear. So, all right, you can go back to the other. So we're going to talk tonight, and I'm going to set it up this way. We're going to talk tonight about the sinfulness of planning without God. Now, I suspect there's probably somebody in the room tonight. God's not part of your plans. You, in fact, even if you do plan with God, sometimes we go to God like he's a genie in a bottle, and we ask God to bless our plans that we have, rather than going to God and saying, God, what's your plan for my life that I need to be pursuing? And so what I'm going to tell you tonight is it's sinful for us to either plan our lives without God 
And it's sinful for us to go to God and say, God, here's my plan. I want you to put your rubber stamp on my plan and make it happen so that I can do what I want to do. Because when we're doing what we want to do, we're still on the throne of our heart and our mind. We're still in charge, and we're not allowing the one true God to be in charge of everything that's happening. So let's read our text. It's my custom just to stand when we read the text, because the text is like Jesus speaking to us through his word. So would you stand if you're able to tonight as we read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are missed that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Dear Lord, tonight we pray that you would just convict our hearts where we need to be convicted, that you would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, so in your text tonight, James begins this passage with come now. Now, if you were to look out throughout the whole book of James, you're only going to see come now in two locations. You're going to see it here in chapter 4, verse 13. You're going to see it in chapter 5, verse 1, where it says come now. And when it's saying come now, it's like saying, hey, y'all, I'm about to give you a reprimand if you're from the South. It's like saying it's about time for me to light you up a little bit. It's about to throw down on some words because he's about to get serious and reprimanding those that he has called brothers, those that he has called the ones he loves, those that he has called his fellow people walking through this life together. He's now going to get a little bit hostile, a little bit higher voice. If you're like my dad, he gets that furrowed brow in between the eyes, and and these these are his angry words. And so he might even have that little vein out the side of his temple that begins to thump with every heartbeat that lets you know I'm really in trouble now because I've made somebody really mad. Come now. He says, come now, you who say. It's important to note that we often say things that we shouldn't say. We often talk about things we shouldn't talk about. We often exaggerate. And what here James is saying is he's setting up this scenario, and he's saying, come now, you who say. And the indication there is that the words that we say are actually God's grace to us because they give us a glimpse of the heart that is within us. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth says, the words flow. It's out of what's in our heart that we speak. So when you think about the words you speak, and oftentimes we all say things that we shouldn't say, things that are degrading to other people because we need to put them down so that we elevate ourselves. We say things that are prideful about our own selves because we really think we're on trial in some way and we want to elevate ourselves or push ourselves up or we have some prideful arrogance in our heart because we want to think we're better than we really are. And out of that heart comes these words. And these words convict us because it shows exactly what's deep down in us. Now, if you're in here tonight and you've never said a harsh word to anybody, you've never said anything wrong to anybody, then that would show that you you have a perfect heart, you have a good heart, you have a kind heart. But I'm willing to wager a bet tonight that every one of us in this room has said things that we shouldn't have said to mom, to dad, to a brother, to a sister, to a wife, to to a son, to a daughter, to a school teacher, to somebody on the football field, maybe even tonight if it got a little too competitive, who knows? You say things often that you just don't mean, but it comes out of your heart and it's in there. And what this proves to us is that there is no single one of us that is innately good at our core. The Bible tells us that God created us. He created this world and everything in it in six literal days. He created Adam and Eve. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, denied their creator, rebelled against King Jesus, rebelled against the God of the universe, and said, no, we want to be wise like you, but we don't want to follow your rules. And the Satan deceived them in the form of a serpent. They ate of the apple, rebelled against God, were separated from God by their sin. And ever since Adam and Eve, we are children of Adam and Eve, we have a sin 
nature is what it's called inside of us that every last one of us rebels against God Almighty. We flee from God Almighty and we want to do things my way. We want to do things the way we want to do them because we think we're the captain of our own ship, that we are in charge of our own domain. So let me prove that to you. Because that's one of the most important parts about understanding your need for the gospel, your need for Jesus, is to prove that you have a problem. Have you ever, how many of you have kids? How many of you have children? All right, so you guys are in the room, so some of the people in the room don't have kids, so I need you guys to affirm this. You do not have to teach a baby how to do bad things. You don't have to teach a baby how to be selfish. As a child grows up, you don't have to teach them how to lie. Like lying is a pretty... It's a pretty elaborate process. You have to actually think in your mind, I'm going to tell a lie rather than a truth because I think a lie is better for me than the truth. And so they have this process. It's ingrained into kids. They lie and you don't teach them how to lie. You have to teach them how to tell the truth and that there are consequences when they lie. You don't have to teach a child how to steal. Some children have it naturally as their spiritual gift, especially when it comes to candy. They want it all. They will still kill and destroy for Smarties or whatever their candy of choice is. Inside of us, all of us, you know it, you feel it, because you have a conscience. And that conscience condemns you because you know you do things and think things and say things that you shouldn't do. Those things, just one of them, places you at odds with the God that created you. One sin places you at odds, a rebel against the God that created you, the God that gave you life, so now you're in a bad spot. Because what are you to do? Because you can't work to earn your way to get to heaven. So then you need somebody to come along and help you, and that's where the gospel comes in, and that's where Jesus dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sin comes in. And that's where us being united with Christ so that God looks down and sees Christ and his righteousness, not me and my sinfulness, so that I am united with Christ so that then I can be reconciled to the God who created me, to the God that I rebelled against. That's the gospel message is that you can't earn it. You can't clean up to come to God. You can't get good enough to come to God. You can't do enough good things to come to God. The only thing you can do to come back to your creator is to repent of your sins, confess Jesus Christ and be united with Christ so that God no longer sees us in our mess and in our sinfulness and in our selfishness, but God sees Christ who covers us by the blood of the cross. Now that's it. So here it says, come now you who say, our words are a gracious gift from God to tell us how depraved our heart really is so that we know we need a Savior, so that we can repent of the heart that we have within us. Come now you who say... Today or tomorrow, and he sets up a scenario here, we, and you note that here he says we, he doesn't say to, to, we prayed about this and we consulted the elders and we came to a decision. He just says in his scenario, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. So he gives you a time frame. It's today or tomorrow, we're going to go such and such a town. We're going to spend a year there and we're going to trade and we're going to make a profit. And that's the scenario that he has set up. So we're going to go, we're going to spend a year, and we're going to make a profit. How many of you run a business, own a business, work in business? How easy is it to make a profit all the time? So there's some assumptions here, right? We're still going to be alive, we're still going to go, we're going to be able to be there for a year, and that we're going to make a profit. When he tells us about this today or tomorrow, this specific location, this spending a year there, this business plan that's going to work, it's for sure, and that we're going to make a profit, I can't help but think of the words from some several different songs. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans, right? So some of you may be thinking right now, wait a second, I like this guy. Planning is bad, and I don't like planning. But that's not what he's talking about here, right? So how many of you hate to plan? Anybody in the room that hates to plan? You can be honest. We won't tell anybody. How many of you love to plan? Yeah, come on now. You, you got Half of you didn't even answer the question. There, there are some of you that love to plan. How many of you are married to somebody that loves to plan? I, that will get... So I, I like to plan, but I'm married to somebody that loves to plan. I mean, she, has a, she does a checklist of boxes on her, on her sheet, and the top box says make a checklist just so she can check an extra box off. And the last box at the bottom says, complete the checklist. 
just so she can check another box off. And they're all color-coded. And they, there are different pens, and they're all erasable now. I don't know how they have erasable pens, but they're all erasable, and they're all color-coded. And so some of you are planners in the room, and you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I don't like this guy. I don't, I don't like what this text is saying. And there's some of you in the room that hate to plan, and you are a Kuna Matata personified, right? That's, that's your motto for life. Don't worry. Be happy. It's all going to be all right. It's just going to work out. You know, even when it comes to, to eschatology, you're a pan-millennialist. You'll believe it all pan out in the end. You don't even care about all that type of stuff. Just go. Just be happy. Just do all these things. Now, if the, the text here is not saying to us, don't plan at all. The text is saying to us, don't plan without consulting God. There's an arrogance in the fact when we think we control everything and that we can plan without God. You see this all throughout Scripture, and you're going to see four reasons why we shouldn't plan without God. Here it is in verse 14, number one. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. So number one, why shouldn't you plan without God? We do not know the future. Verse 14. We do not know the future. Verse 14. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's what James says. Let's be honest, though. James is actually being generous to us. Because we don't know what's going to happen tonight. We don't know what's going to happen in the very next moment. Because somebody in this room could get a cell phone call right now. You could have your phone vibrating, buzzing, telling you that something has happened back home that changes your life and changes your circumstances. All of you, I suspect, know somebody that's been in a car wreck, that's had a diagnosis, that's thought they were fine to go to a doctor to find out that they've had cancer, been driving down the road, not paying any attention to find out that there's something going on. We see it all the time at Cedarville. We had this perfectly healthy soccer player who all of a sudden started having headaches to find out she had a tumor in her brain and had to go in for brain surgery the very next day at 19 years old. Who thinks that type stuff is going to happen? You think about the people who were living in Houston who thought everything was just fine. Nothing's going to take place. This little hurricane's off in the distance and all of a sudden this hurricane comes through and life has changed drastically. You think about those people in New York who were riding down a bike path thinking everything was all good. Life's planned out for them. They're in New York City. They're in the Big Apple. They're living the dream. Everything is good. And all of a sudden, here comes a truck barreling down the wrong way, and life has changed in a moment. And this is telling us in the text, quit being arrogant and planning because you don't know the future. Do not plan without God. And there's probably somebody in the room that you thought, I've got this all planned out. I don't need God. God's for the wimpy people that need a crutch. And God is not for the wimpy people that needs a crutch. God is the almighty king that one day will have every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that he is Lord. God is the one that is in charge. The devil is the one that tells us lies to deceive us and to deceive our hearts and to cause us to look away from God and say we don't need God and think we can do all this by ourselves. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and even the devil is God's devil, and he can only do what God says he can do and go as far as God says he can go. And if you're in this room right now and you think, I've got it covered, I'm going to take care of my life, I've got it all under control, James is saying to you now, come on, man, you can't even control tomorrow. If you get hurt out there on the flag football field, you can't even reach down and make your knee well. But God created all of this in six days, not because he needed to take six days. He could have done it in a moment, just because he was laying a pattern for us. And you think you don't need God? What arrogance. We do not know the future, but we know who holds the future. So in our lives, we don't plan what we want. We go to God and we say, God, you know best. You know all. I know this little bitty amount. You know the future. You know what I need. You're a good, good God. You're a good, good father. What do you want me to do, God? What do you want the plans for my life to be? Because your plans are going to be bigger. They're probably going to be a little bolder, but they're going to be better. For my overall well-being, you have to trust God because He is faithful and you can trust Him that what He wants you to do is going to be better than what you want to do. James continues on here and he says, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. And then he says next, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So first of all, we don't know the future. 
Second of all, we cannot control the future. Our life is simply a vapor or a mist. Now think about a vapor, think about a mist. I actually, usually I have one that I use when I'm deer hunting to check the scent. You, you, can, you can do a puff and it'll, it'll pop up and it'll just tell you the wind direction. Some of you may have seen those type things before. Some of you may have seen a, a squirt bottle that squirts out just a spray of mist or something of that nature. Some of you may have seen somebody smoking a pipe or a cigar or a cigarette. Or some of you may have gone out on a really cold morning and you may have blown smoke out of your mouth. How long does it take for that smoke you blow out of your mouth in the morning to disappear and go off into the other air so that you can't see it? Seconds. Usually it's about two to three seconds. You, you blow a puff, away it goes. You watch the smoke from a fire. That smoke from a fire, you, you watch it as, it as it comes up, and, and that smoke just goes off into the air, and all of a sudden it's gone. You watch a cloud moving on the horizon, and as the clouds move on the horizon, you see them coming in, and they change, and then they're gone. They don't last for any time. You watch the mist that's on the ground, the dew that's on the ground when it's wet, and the sun comes up and dries it away, and it lasts for no time. And you think about all these things that are temporary, all these things that don't last a really long time, and the Bible tells us in places like Job 7, 7. It compares life to a breath. One breath. And it's gone. Job 7, 9 compares life to that cloud that fades and then is vanishing. Psalm 39, 5 and 6 compares life to a few breaths or a man going about as a shadow. How long is your shadow there behind you? Well, no longer than when the sun goes down and there's no more shadow to show and it's over and it takes it's gone, and there's nothing else you can provide there. You think about all of these things. Think about the parables that are in Luke, about the man who builds his bigger barn, and then his life is demanded of him that night. And what the text is trying to get across to us is that we cannot guarantee that we're going to live in the future. And I've talked to some people who have said, I'm not going to make a decision to follow Christ because I want to be, I want to be my own captain. I want to go my own way. I want to plan my own life. And when I get old, when I get older, I'll make a decision then. I want to live my life. I want to do all the fun things. Then I'll follow Christ later on down the line. And James is saying to people who want to plan without God, he's saying, come on now. You don't know what the future holds and you can't control any of it because you you are a vapor or a mist. We think about our lives and we think about all eternity. If we live to be 70 or 80 years old on this life, in this earth, and then all of a sudden we're gone, then you think about that for all eternity. All eternity separated from God in a place that he created for the devil and his angels called hell, or all eternity spent united with Christ, worshiping Christ. That's our choice. In this brief time that we have on this earth, we make a choice as to whether we're going to put God in charge or whether we're going to stay in charge. And James is saying to us, come on, man, it's arrogance for you to think that you can control the future. It's arrogance for you to think that you can determine what's going to take place. And if you're here tonight and you have never made the decision to live your life for Christ, I would challenge you that you're not guaranteed tomorrow morning to be able to make that decision. And if you're trying to put that off, I would challenge you to say, Jesus came to this earth and he gave his life so that you could be saved. And if you're not willing to give the rest of your life from this day forward to live for him, then why in the world should he save you? It's our obligation because of how great God is to repent on our knees and humble ourselves before the God who is worthy. James continues on here. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, he says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. So third, we must recognize that God's in control. If the Lord wills, we will live. Have you ever thought about that? Tomorrow morning when you get up and you're reading your Bible? God, thank you that I'm alive today. Thank you for another day with breath. Have you ever thought about how fragile these human bodies are? Have you ever thought about how fragile this universe is? That we should get up every day and we should thank God that we are actually still alive, that he has given us life to live. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and then we will do this, or we will do that. And what James is after is he's saying, recognize that God is ultimately in control. Now, this doesn't mean that we should have this formula that we say, if God wills. So tomorrow when we're eating breakfast, and somebody says, hey, would you pass the salt? Don't respond, if God wills, I'll pass the salt, right? (laughs) I mean, it's not what, it's not the formula. Sometimes we get in our mind, it's the formula. And, and so we have these formulaic prayers that we pray. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. All of these different things that we do that are just rituals that mean nothing. He's not saying here, add another ritual to everything so that when somebody asks you to do something, hey, man, you want to play golf next weekend? If the Lord wills, I will meet you at the golf course to hit the anointed balls. I mean, you know, we don't, that's not, that's just, that's just prideful, arrogant, stupid talk, right? All right? I mean, that's just not cool to talk like that. But in our hearts... We shouldn't make plans thinking that we already know what's going to happen. And that's for all of us. If you're honest, there are men in this room that can tell you that God has radically changed or reshaped the way that they thought they were going to live their life. And if they're truly living for God, I think every one of them would tell you what he had in mind is better than what they had in mind. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that you must recognize that God is in control. What does that mean for us? That means there's not a single one of you that's here tonight, including myself, that's here by accident. God knew you were going to be here. God knew I was going to preach this text. If you're being convicted because maybe you have never repented of your sins, you've never put your faith in Christ, you still think you're in charge, you have never repented and said, God, you're in charge now, I'm going to live my life for you. If you're in that spot, in this seat right here tonight, this is an opportunity that God, out of His grace, has granted you for somebody to come along and just say to you, hey, brother, consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are in a lost condition. You are wandering in your sin. You are helpless. You can do nothing to get out of your sin without the whole Holy Spirit redeeming you and being living within you. And so consider tonight the gravity of your sin against the God that created you and created this universe and created all this around us. And I'm here to tell you, it's not just a fear thing. It's not just a thing that's wrong. I'm here to tell you how great that God is, that that God that created all this knowing, because God's in control, knowing that we were going to rebel, knowing that it was going to cost him his son on a cross to die for my sin and for your sin, knowing that Jesus was going to have to get up out of the grave, ascend, and come again. God still created us knowing all of our mess. So if you're here tonight and you think God can't redeem somebody that's done what I've done, you're focused too much on the depth of your sin and not nearly enough on the depth of his grace. And the, the, the vastness of your sin can't begin to come close to the vastness of God's grace. The God that created us all is the God that can redeem us all. He is the God that loves you just the way you are, and you don't get good enough to come to God. You fall on your knees and say, God, save me. Reconcile me to you. And God then sends his Holy Spirit in our life, and he begins putting things right. He begins shaping things up. He begins changing our heart so that we understand how much he loves us, how great he is. We catch a passion for the truth of God. We start seeing the lies of the devil for what they are. We start putting away the things that are harmful for us because the God that created us wants what's best. He wants what's best for you. He wants what's best for me. He's got a glorious vision of how everything's supposed to be, not in a wicked fallen world that cries out to be redeemed, not with people that are full of pride and sinful arrogance, but people that love one another, people that treat each other the way that we're supposed to be treated. He wants masculine men that have a backbone to stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to stand up and protect those who need to be protected. He is calling you to be part of his forces on this earth, to be part of King Jesus' team, your allegiance in his story. So stop trying to create your own story that's going to fade with just a flicker, with just a moment, and be part of the one true eternal story of our great and gracious God. James gives us one more reason. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live, we'll do this, we'll do that. God's in control. By the way, if you haven't recognized that God's in control yet, it's likely right around the corner because he brought you here. He's got a plan for you with the people that he brought you here with. 
And he has a tendency to knock us down from our pridefulness and to knock the idols out of our life. And if you don't believe me, when you get to your small groups, just ask the guys. I, I remember being young and thinking I could rule the world. And God, one by one, knocked those idols out of life. Just ask the guys around you that you do life with, does God ever knock the idols out of your life? And I guarantee you there are stories in this room that they can tell you. James continues on here. Now remember, James is a little bit ticked off at us right now. James says, as it is, what are we doing? So we're planning our life without God. We don't have God in the picture. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing it my own way. And James says to us in verse 16, as it is, you boast. And if you haven't figured it out, boasting is not a good thing in the Bible. Pridefulness, it says, comes before the fall. A haughty spirit before destruction. He says you boast, and what are you boasting in? You're boasting in your arrogance. That's like the double curse. You're prideful in your pridefulness. You're so cocky and arrogant about your own life that you don't realize how cocky and arrogant you are. And it's unattractive to God. And when we are sitting back in that position of, I don't need you, God... I don't need you, the God that gives me the breath that I can live. I don't need you, the God that created me. I don't need you, the God that created all this world. When we say we don't need God for our plans or for our life, he's saying you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So I put this fourth point as we know better. Because I think we do. I think we know better. I think we realize inside how fragile life is. And if you're not to the point where you realize how fragile life is, you just go talk to somebody that's 10 or 20 years older than you are. Because God has this really cool thing he does for us that's gracious, even though we all hate it, which is called getting old. And when I was 18, I could get hurt and heal overnight. And now at 44, I get hurt. I, I got this black eye three weeks ago. It's still not completely gone. There's still a little spot. I, you, you're like, come on, this should have been gone two weeks ago. This should, this should be done. But the older you get, the longer it takes for those little bumps and bruises and aches to get well. Can I get a testimony from some other guys in the room? Yeah. And, and what God's doing is he's telling us, you're not invincible. You think about all the greats of all times. Who's the greatest basketball player to ever play the game? Michael Jordan. I heard somebody that saved in the auditorium. All right. But you think about Michael Jordan. He, take your pick. Kobe Bryant. Back up to Dr. J. Where are they and what are they doing now? They're not the greatest to ever play the game anymore, are they? And LeBron will have that one day too in your lifetime if the Lord allows you to live that long. You think about the great quarterbacks of all time. What are they doing? What happens to them? You think about Deshaun Watson who in practice all of a sudden blows his knee out because he's not going to spend eternity playing football like that. We are given these bodies and they wear out because we are not built for this to be all that there is. There's something more. There's something better. There's something greater. And we are destined for that. And if you live your life only for these few years, for this vapor, for this mist, for these few breaths, for this shadow, for these clouds that pass, then you are really wasting your life. We should store up things in heaven where it doesn't rust, where it doesn't decay. We know better. We know because this whole life is set up. The seasons are set up. I mean, we're in Iowa. You, you grow stuff here. You see the corn rise up. You see the corn turn brown. You see the corn harvested. And then you see this deadness of winter that I hate called snow that comes in and just dumps over everything. And it's just dead because there are seasons of life and birth and death and life and birth and death. And we see it over and over again in creation as we see it in our own lives, as we see it in our own children. Because God is saying to us, this is not all there is. And you are not going to last forever in this form. We know better. This word where it talks about our arrogance is actually even plural. We boast in all of our arrogances because, let's be honest about it, we are really good at being arrogant. We are really good at being prideful, all of us, myself included. I, I even remember, you, you get a compliment. You start bowing your chest up. Your shoulders go back. You get prideful. You even get prideful in how humble you are. 
man, I'm, I'm really good at being humble. I, I think I need to write a book on humility. I, why is it you don't see books on humility? Who wants to be the guy that wrote the book on humility? I mean, that's like got to be an anonymous book, right? Because you can't say, let me show you how to be humble. That's prideful, even in the statement. And yet that's what our hearts do. Even in the good things, we take pride. So tonight, there's some of you in this room, and, and you are a believer. You have trusted Jesus. So what's my application to you? Where are we going in this? If you're in this room and you're a believer, perhaps you're still living your life thinking that genie, God is a genie in a bottle and that you want him to bless your plans instead of seeking God's plans. And so I would just encourage you and challenge you to seek God's plans for your life over your own plans for your life and get involved in what God may want you to do, even if it may radically rock your world and reshape your world and change your world. Because what God wants for you is much better than what you want for you. But I have a feeling there's some of you in this room tonight. You know God's not in control of your life. You know that you have never repented of your sins. You've never truly felt the guilt, the weight, the sorrow for your sins. You know that you have never placed your allegiance on Jesus' team. You're still playing for your own team. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you're not guaranteed the future. You can't control the future. Your life is a vapor, and you're not guaranteed tomorrow. God is sovereign, and he has given you a gracious opportunity to hear and to accept the gospel even tonight and to talk to brothers who will encourage you. There is going to be no more friendly place for you to say that I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior than this place right now. This place has people that will come around you, that will love on you, that will encourage you, that will applaud and clap for a decision to be on Jesus' team and place your allegiance with him for all eternity to say, I'm living for God. God, I'm giving up myself because I recognize the futility and the arrogance of trying to be the captain of my own soul. So tonight, if you're here, if there's any hint in your heart that you need to make a decision to follow Christ, I will promise you the devil is not placing that hint in your heart. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit saying you need to deal with your soul for all eternity. So if you were here tonight and tonight was it and tonight ended and you had a heart attack before you walked out that door and died and dropped dead and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you in? What would you say to God? God, I went to a men's retreat. It's not good enough. God, I went to church. That's not good enough. God, my mom and dad. That's your mom and dad's issue, not yours. Why should I let you in? If your answer is anything other than, I have repented of my sins and placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, so that as the Bible talks about it, I am now united with Christ. We don't get in for what we've done. We get in for what He's already done. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Any other answer and you don't get in. Depart from me, for I never knew you. If you have never done that and you're in this auditorium tonight, we're going to give you a time to respond. Uh, I'm not going to make it some sappy, long invitation that pulls on heartstrings because we're men. My challenge to you is this. I'm going to say a prayer, and if you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to be a man, and I want you to get up, and I want you to come down front, and there's going to be some guys that will come down here, and they will grab you, and they will take you off, and they'll talk to you about what it means to profess faith in Christ and make sure you understand the gospel and understand what you're doing. Not an emotional experience. This is you saying, I am going to live for Jesus. No more self on the throne. Now, there have been people praying for weeks for some of you in this room right now. They were thrilled to know that you're going to be here because they know God is sovereign and he has a plan. But it's your call and only you can decide to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. So every head bowed, every eye closed. After I finish praying for us, I want you just to get up, and I want you just to come down here to the front, and there are going to be a few guys, and they will be happy just to walk and take you aside and explain the gospel to you. The band's going to play, and we're going to sing a song to close us out after that.
But just right after I pray, before they start playing the music, I want you just to get up and come. Dear Lord, if there's anybody in here tonight who has not repented of their sins and put their faith in you, I pray that you will make it clear to them that you are drawing them to make this decision. God, I pray that you will convict them that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, I pray that you will give them the faith and the boldness just to get up and come. Now, before they play, before we sing, right now, if you're in this room and you need to be saved, right now, people won't mind letting you out. I want you just to stand up and I want you to come down to the front right now. Just get up and come. If you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, if you feel questions about where you're going to spend eternity, and you want to know more about the gospel, just stand up right where you are, slide out, make your way right down here to the front. Anybody in the room? Anybody else? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not trying to scare you. But I just want you to know, you are not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't delay. The Lord is convicting you. You come. Anybody else? All right, we're going to sing. As we're singing, if you feel convicted that you need to talk to somebody about your life, about sin, about what's going on, then I'm going to ask a couple of the guys just to hang out towards the back. And then you just make your way to the back and grab one of the guys, and they'll find a spot to take you. If you need to talk to somebody, the invitation's not closed. But there'll be some guys at the back that can walk you through some conversations. And so as we sing, feel free just to go to the back. The band will take us out.